love Jesus, make some noise. There you go. Love that. Love that. Well, open up your Bibles and flip to the right of the middle. We're going to be in the book of Romans tonight. Romans, Romans, Romans 10, 14, or sorry, Romans chapter 10, 14 through 17, 10, 14 through 17. And tonight we're in the first week of our five-week equipping seminar, building off the back of the missional living series that we just completed inside of main service. And over the past three weeks, Keith has led us by teaching the heart behind why we as Christians must be living on mission. So we've talked about being a tested people, talked about being a called people, talked about being a empowered people, and we have come face to face with the reality that as Christians, we are all ambassadors of King Jesus, that we're all ministers of the gospel, and that we're all called to live a life on mission. And so many, so many of our hearts have responded with a positive affirmation to the question and yet also with the question, how, how, how do I do that? How do I do that? Both practically and pragmatically, how do I live a life in the day-to-day, every day, on mission as a Christian fulfilling the Great Commission? And our hope for these next five weeks is to put tools in your tool bag, to take what you've learned with your head and your heart and apply it to your hands. But tonight we're going to kick off this fuel for life by defining what it actually means to share the gospel pitfalls on how and why we fail to preach the good news and how to define our mission field of who we can be actually witnessing to and sharing the gospel with. So that's a ton to do in 30 minutes, so we better get rolling. So go ahead and read with me Romans 10, 14 through 17. The word of God speaks And it says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. There's this thing called Freeway, and it was a week-long event, and what they would do is they would set up tables all over the college campus, and they would give away stuff for free. So at the tables, they would things like, like scantrons and candy and pens and pencils and all the, above, all the above. So people that, as they were on their way to class, they could go ahead and grab one of these things, and attached to each one of them was a printed-out, sometimes out-of-context Bible verse, okay? And the concept of this was that Freeway... Uh, was that they would give away things for free because God's love is free. And their hope was that people would see a unnatural generosity that they would stop at the tables and pick up something free and uh, hopefully the people behind the, the, the tables be able to draw them into a conversation about Jesus and tell them the gospel. Now, I was looking for a date uh, formal that year, so like a good Christian, I signed up to work one of these booths, right, with a young lass that I thought might be potentially interested in going with me to Bucks Formal. And so after working a number of these shifts, sitting in the sweltering sun, I had learned two things, okay? I was far more interested in asking her friend to formal and uh, that the only people who stopped to have a conversation was people who are already Christian. They would stop with that in conversation and say things like, guys, I love what you're doing here. It's just so cool. You keep it up. And in my mind, I'm like, surely other people are having different luck, right? And so, uh, I, you know, I, 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 I go and I'm kind of walking through 
the business school, and I see a table, and I'm like, man, uh, my guess is that, you know, there are other people that, that, that are asking about the gospel that get a free piece of candy, and just so that you know something about me, I'm, a, I'm kind of a curious guy, uh, and I contain slightly, just make, man, just curiosity, okay, and I like to test theories, and a couple days later, I'm walking up through that business school, and there's one of these freeway tables set up, and I see that one, the, the, the class is not open yet, that we're waiting to go in for a test, and two, uh, there are scantrons on this table, and they cost a whole dollar, and I'm poor, right, so I go over, and I'm, I'm about to pick one up, and I slip off my pink hat, right, and I figure this is a great opportunity to pretend like I'm a non-believer so someone can preach the gospel to me. In hindsight, maybe not the best idea, right? Not the best move, a little deceptive, all right? But the missiologist in me wanted to know, wanted to see if this thing would actually be effective. So I walked up to this poor girl who was quietly reading her Bible, and the conversation went something like this. Hey, yeah, so what's this, uh, what's this whole freeway thing about? And some of you already have the clairvoyance to know that this is not going to end well as a story, right? And she looks up from studying and she says, God's love is free, so we want to give away things for free. And then she puts her head back down and goes back to her quiet time, which was not the reason why I was there. All right? I pick up a great Laffy Taffy and there's an out-of-context verse attached to it. And my theological neat neck, it begins to boil and I ask, so what does it mean that God's love is free? What do I need to do for God to love me? And just a total softball question. Every evangelist dream. But she looks up from her devotional with a slight annoyance behind her eyes and sweetly says, God loves everyone and wants to show you his love. Now, at this point, I had tried twice. I wanted to, the gospel way more than I wanted my great Laffy Taffy and my Scantron. And I said, by giving candy bars away? These are bite-sized. <laughs> Seems like some cheap love God has for us right there. And at this point, she looks up horrified at me, and as I continue, I'm like, is God not generous? Why do you read the Bible? Do you even love Jesus, right? I, I know, <laughs> it's horrible, right? <laughs> yes, you should be laughing. This is funny, right? And at this point, I notice like there's this little glimmer that begins to form in the corner of her eye, and as the panic grows, she begins bawling because, well, I'm a jerk, right? And she can't answer my questions. And tears are now coming down, the, down her face in the middle of the hallway with all these people around, and she can't stop crying because she's becoming more embarrassed. So I sit down and put my arm around her, and I, she asks me, you know, why, why are you asking all these questions? Because you're at the freeway table, right? And in my mind, I'd given her softball questions to swing at by asking the questions that every evangelist dreams about someone asking them. But at this point, I make my next mistake. I reveal my uh, identity as a brother in Christ and the chaplain of their brother organization, thinking this girl must be a new believer to kindly walk her through the gospel so that she knows how to respond when people are coming and engaging and asking questions. And, and she gets really, really, really mad at me. She gets really mad at me, okay? She's not a new believer. She has grown up in church, and she's one of the chairs for this whole freeway event. And she starts ripping into me, deservedly so, about how I'm super mean for asking all of these questions about the gospel, who God is, and telling me that I'm a liar, which is totally true. But at the same time, but, but I thought I was being, you know, kind rather than mean by giving it a chance and asking point blank questions about her faith and that she could have used to launch into the gospel. But as it turns out, she had no idea how to articulate the gospel. She wanted to do good, but she didn't know why she believed or why she believed it. My guess is that she wanted to live on mission, but she couldn't really be a missionary. 
Because even though she could give away candy for free, she had no ability to share the gospel of grace. Now, why do I tell you that? Because I want you to lose faith in your pastor who used to wear a pink hat in college? Not really, right? I tell you that because everyone theoretically wants to be a good missionary. But so often the problem is, is that we don't really know where to begin. We understand the concept, but in practicality, we don't know how to live on mission as a way of life in the everyday, day-to-day. Oftentimes, we can feel like we are spitting into the wind rather than being the blessed feet that bring the good news. And yet, we know that we've been called by God, that we've been given and entrusted with the great commission. And as Keith has emphasized in the past few Sundays, we as Christians have been commanded by King Jesus to go out of this world and make new disciples. Now, discipleship is what I call a junk drawer word, meaning a lot of things fit in this drawer underneath the umbrella of the word discipleship. However, making disciples always starts in the same place. Anyone like math? Making disciples is like a line in geometry. As a starting point, it goes in a direction growing in infinity towards Jesus. There's no real ending point where someone can say, I've been fully discipled and need not to have any more discipleship or discipling, right? Nobody says that. And though there is an end point, um, it's progressively unfolding in nature. The end point, it's progressively unfolding in nature with no ending point on this side of eternity. Discipleship, however, only begins and always begins with one thing, and that one thing is evangelism. The reality is, is that in order to live on mission, you must follow the biblical command of evangelism. We cannot be a people who live on mission and fulfill the Great Commission if we do not share the gospel with others. Therefore, the basic building block on living on mission is evangelism. And everything else rests on the foundation of sharing the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ's life, death, burial, and resurrection with an unbelieving world. And in order to be evangelists, living on mission as a way of life in the everyday, day-to-day, we need to do four things, and they are this. We must obey the Lord's calling on our life to share the gospel. That's number one. Number two, we must speak and know the gospel. Number three, we need to overcome obstacles in sharing the gospel. And lastly, we must define our mission fields. By the way, uh, do you guys know that we worship a God who speaks? So our God has, he has communicated with us, right? Isn't that amazing? So when I say that, likely what comes to mind is God speaking uh, creation into the creation of the world into existence in Genesis 1, or maybe through the giving of his law on Mount Sinai. We also see that God often speaks directly and audibly to the patriarchs, and we see that God speaks both with booming authority and in a still small, quiet voice to the prophets, often in the Old Testament. The book of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 1, affirms your recounting of the way that God has spoken when it says long ago, at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. It's clear that God has spoken here and that he has spoken clearly in various times and in various ways, but our God is a God who continued to speak through the sending of his son, verse 2. But in these things, the last days he has spoken to us by his son who is appointed the heir of all things through whom he created the world. And if you remember the beginning of John's gospel in verses 1 through 3, we're told the same thing, but using a little bit different language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. He. 
The word is a he. And all things were made through him, and without him not anything was made. John picks back up in verse, that thought in verse 14, saying, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. How many of us have heard of Jesus as being referred to as the Logos? The preacher isn't referencing a special type of overpriced Lego set genre here. He's calling Jesus by one of his many titles, the Logos, meaning the word of God who put on flesh in the incarnation and dwelt among us. Going back to Hebrews, we see that God spoke to us in the past and then subsequently spoke to us in an even greater way by sending the word to become flesh, delivering the message of the gospel in person through his son, Jesus Christ, with finality through the life, death, and burial and resurrection. And we worship a God who has spoken to us, and as, his creator, uh, and, and, and as the creator's creation, we have been made in the image of God. If Jesus is the word and our God is the God who has spoken to us, it is no surprise that being a God who communicates, with it, that he is a God who, is, who communicates with his people, and that he calls his creation made in his image to speak the message that he has spoken to others. The fundamental point of evangelism is that God is calling us to speak the message that he has entrusted us to others. And the message is something incredibly specific. In scriptures, it's called the gospel or the good news. These two terms, when read in scripture, are basically synonymous. The gospel is the good news. And that word, the gospel, tends to be one of those Christian words that we readily accept but don't always really know what it means. And the word gospel means to announce a message or to share good news. But the word gospel, right, the, 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 that word is heralded as a specific kind of news. The gospel heralds something. And more specifically, the gospel heralds news that announce victory in a battle. So when two armies were at war, the commanding forces were often far from the battlefront, and the only way to get from the front lines to the back lines were to get by getting runners to literally run a message from the heat of the battle to where the decisions were actually being made. And when the battle was won, one of the runners would run from the, front of the back, from the front lines to the back lines, heralding the announcement of the good news that the army had been victorious, that they had been saved from their enemies. And the very same thing is true for us. We are called to be heralds of the gospel. We are called to proclaim the good news that God is indeed victorious. And hear me very closely so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying. It's going to sound wrong at first, but you'll make sense in a minute. The gospel is more than just Jesus died on the cross because he loves you. Both of those statements are very true, but by themselves they are incomplete. See, Jesus is more than just a first responder. The gospel of Jesus Christ speaks to God's complete and total victory over Satan's sin and death through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. The gospel is an announcement signifying the completion of his promises. In Genesis 2, God instructs Adam and Eve to obey him by not eating from the tree at the center of the garden. Though our first parents, as we know, failed, we are told repeatedly in the Old Testament that God would indeed one day send another who would live a perfect life of obedience. That was Jesus. 
And after the fall in Genesis 3, God talks smack to the serpent, sharing the first gospel and lets him know that there is a God-man coming that one day is going to crush his head and bruise his heel in the process. That is Jesus, the one who defeated Satan once and for all. And to quote the old hymn in Christ alone, talking about Good Friday 2,000 years ago, it says this, on the cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid. Then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave, he rose again. And as he stands in what victory, since curse has lost its grip on me, for I am his and he is mine, bought with the precious blood of Christ. And that song, it echoes the truths found in Romans 6. That Jesus broke the curse and the chains of sin and death, freeing us to live a new life starting now under the power of the Holy Spirit. This good news is freely given to us. God doesn't sell it and we can't earn it. He has accomplished it entirely through his own efforts. And for those who have ears to hear and can't help themselves, they, they can't help themselves but respond with a Romans 10:17 type of faith that comes from hearing about the completed victory of God. And that's good news, amen? It's the gospel. God's announcement of his victory that has been entrusted to us with this good news to herald it to anyone who would hear. So why do we sometimes not do that? I mean, let's be honest, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? After all, Jesus has given us the command of the Great Commission of sharing the gospel that we just said amen to with the rest of the world, and yet we, quite frankly, often fall short repeatedly. It's true. I'm guilty. So we're going we're, we're gonna to have some family time here, all right? We're going to talk about some of our pitfalls, and it's okay. So if you're uh, you know, naturally defensive, just take, take a, a second and, and, and prepare yourself because I'm going to uh, levy some criticism against tendencies within Christendom. It's going to be like a good comic. I'm going to make fun of everybody, all right? <laughs> I'm going to use the word we. I'm going to be plural, and so if I say the word use, it's the, voto, so the, the vosotros form, right? It's the plural you language because guess what? I'm, I'm guilty guilty. So take the journey with me. I see, and you may see it differently, but I see two main categories of reasons why we do not share the gospel. I think we either tend to excuse ourselves out of sharing the gospel, or we do something else instead of sharing the gospel and then call it sharing the gospel. Until versed up. Let's talk about some good old sharing excuses. So um, you know, first one's my, one of my favorites. It's a, I'm not good at sharing the gospel because I'm not an extrovert, okay? I don't know if you've heard that one before, but it's, it happens a lot, right? Let me encourage everyone in this room. Psalm 139.14 tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God intentionally designed every single fabric of our being and every bit of our personality, and that it's not a surprise to God that we might be an introvert. But the only verse that I can find is in First Opinions that says we are exempt from sharing the gospel because we're not naturally outgoing. In my First Opinions, yeah. You caught it. There you go, right? It might be more difficult, and it might take a little bit more discipline for you to fulfill the command of the Great Commission. But the biblical call of obedience to share the gospel is no less applicable to the introvert than it is to the extrovert. Let's do another. Evangelism is not my spiritual gift. Let me just say that I personally identify with you there, if that's you. Um, man, I am not 
a great evangelist. You know those people who just share the gospel and boom, they just get saved, right? People line up and they're like, Father, I love you now, right? Everyone just falls at the feet of Jesus when they just tell the gospel. And he's like, that's just, that's not me, right? I'm more of the ones that like, in the scriptures talks about the, the person who scatters the seeds. Like I, I scatter a lot of seeds. That's about it, right? And I have to really invest in a relationship to see any kind of headway being made. However, if the reason why you don't do evangelism is that it's not your spiritual gift, I have really good news for you. As believers, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, and the Holy Spirit has actually imparted to us every single spiritual gift, including evangelism. And we just seem to maybe have a larger endowment of some other gifts than this one, but that's okay. We're still called to evangelism. We just need to think about evangelism through evangelism like a muscle group that we need to work on in order to make it stronger. Let's go round three. I'm not equipped enough to share the gospel. Uh, man, I don't know if there's any football fans in here, but I'm one of them, so I'm going to talk about it. So uh, have you ever seen a quarterback play football that doesn't realize they shouldn't be good at playing football? Sometimes their greatest advantage over everyone else is that they don't know the playbook very well. Uh, so they, they start running off of instinct based on what they should do and how they know. So it confuses everybody, and it creates a lot of success, right? They allow for that instinct to take over, and if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in your heart, and he will guide your words. So I encourage you to pray and trust the Lord and share what you know, and the encouragement for us here is that the effectiveness of the gospel, it doesn't depend on your proficiency in sharing. It doesn't. If someone is led to Christ by you sharing the gospel, it has absolutely nothing to do with your presentation of it. The effectiveness of the gospel and your gospel sharing depends on the power of God moving in their hearts, not how well you traverse the Romans road. This last one absolutely grinds my gears, so I'm going to try not to rant. Um, but... <clears throat> Uh, you know, being a youth pastor for a number of years, I always heard this, and it was, uh, I'm still working for the, to, to, to earn the right, to earn the right to share the gospel with them. Like, what? When did that become a thing? Like, where does the Bible tell us to invest in a relationship for three months before we bring up Jesus? Here's some really good news for us. Sharing the gospel isn't Christian sales. We don't need to work on client retention before making the initial pitch. To be really honest, we don't earn the right to share the gospel. Jesus is the one who has already earned that right. The gospel isn't our own personal message to share. It's God's message that he's inviting us to proclaim. Fundamentally, we don't have to earn the right to share the message of the gospel because the message doesn't belong to us. It's God's message, and we're just passing it along. Think of it this way. Let's say that you're a parent telling one of your kids to go let somebody else know in the family that it's time for dinner. Uh, and they go off, they go upstairs to tell the other kid, let's say, and they, they come back and they're alone. And you're like, what happened? They're like, you know, I really wanted to let them know that dinner was ready. But I just haven't earned the right to share the message yet. <laughs> That'd be wild, right? That'd be wild. They'd be disciplined. Why? Because they would be walking in blatant disobedience. And sharing the gospel is a command, therefore we must obey it. The other main deterrent is the sharing of the gospel. To the sharing of the gospel is what the Christian culture has created in place of actually using our mouths to herald the gospel. And as Christians, we're often so afraid of sharing the gospel that we, will, we do anything but actually share the gospel in order to try and share the gospel. And this is the time in the room where I 
offend the other group of people, so everybody will be mad at me and it'll be fine. But uh, the first one is this. We call everything sharing the gospel. Everything. Essentially what happens here is in an adoption or adaptation of the social gospel, we create alternative messages of hope and alternative messages of salvation. I think we do this because we fail to believe in the power of the true gospel. And somewhere along the line, a substitution takes place where proclaiming the message of the gospel is exchanged for demonstrating Christian virtues. For example, serving in a food bank, hanging out, handing out food, but without ever talking about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That might be mercy ministry, and that's awesome, but that's not evangelism. And the issue with calling everything we do sharing the gospel is that the gospel becomes whatever is the display of our own moral compass versus proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to sinners. The gospel is traded for something less than the gospel. Number two, the philosophy. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. So help me understand. Uh, are we supposed to be doing charades? Because I can do it, right? It's like... Right? Like, is that what we're doing here? Like, I, I don't understand that. Like, should we bank on a pantomime to get the story of the gospel across? No. If we're honest, it's hard enough to communicate using words. Is anyone married in here? Right? <laughs> Love my wife. We're good at communicating. But it takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? It sure does. And how in the world are we supposed to herald a message delivered to us by God who speaks without using our own words? This phrase that we've seen on so many t-shirts, I believe, is well intended, but it's often misappropriated. This is street theology at its finest. You cannot preach the gospel without using words. It cannot be done. This very sentence is a functional misunderstanding of the gospel as the victory of the message heralded for a king. In order to preach anything, especially the gospel, it necessitates that we use words as communication. Our God is a God who speaks, and he has called us to speak. Now let me be clear, we must also live out the gospel with our lives and in our lives so it is clear for all to see the message of the victory that has impacted the inner us, Right? And that's why next week, man, I've asked Ryan to share his testimony because the highlights and it highlights the witness of actions as an effective tool to win people to faith. It's a must-do step of obedience for the Christian, but it's no substitute for preaching the gospel. One of the last major things we do instead of directly sharing the gospel and the good news is that we elevate tools as a way of sharing the gospel. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Using tools and tools, they become tantamount to sharing the gospel. And I'll pick on the younger generation, then I'll pick on the older one. So uh, maybe you'll remember there was these bracelets that said WWJD. What would Jesus do, right? They were Christian virtue signaling at its finest, right? Let me make clear you're like, you're, to you that I'm asking myself, what would Jesus do? It's on my risk. But let me make clear that it was also an effective tool for reaching a lot of people, but it was just that. It was a tool, not the gospel. Tools always fall short. Asking the question, what would Jesus do, is helpful for the Christian to move forward in Christian obedience and God's call on our lives because it reminds us of the example of Christ's life. However, when following the logic and taking it to the final conclusion, we realize that this is an impossible question to answer with obedience because we are sinners. And we could never do all that Jesus has done and living a perfect life. WWJD elevates Christus exemplar, Christ as the example, rather than Christ 
Christus Victor, Christ as the Victor. We need both. We need both. And the same thing applies for something like a gospel tract. Giving someone a gospel tract is not a substitute for sharing the gospel with them. Stats show that tracts don't work as effectively as in personal conversation. Why? Because faith comes from what? Hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, I'm not hating on tracts. They're still helpful for evangelism, just like WWJD, but it's not... It's, it's not when used as a substitute for the gospel. They're incredibly helpful as a guide to use in teaching on how to, how to share the gospel by going through them with other people in personal conversation with the people that we're actually giving them to, but it requires us to do that with them as well. They also aren't very good to leave as a tip for a waiter, and if you do, make sure you give 30%, okay? So they actually read it. They'll be like, well, this is incredible. 20 bucks? What's this about, right? They'll see unparalleled generosity and maybe take a look. Last thing and then we're done. Define our mission field. So often we don't put ourselves in a position to succeed in sharing the gospel. For whatever reason, we think that sharing a verse attached to a piece of candy to a stranger is going to be more effective than engaging in relationships that we already have through other means outside of Christian circles. It's as if sometimes we try and maintain a emotional, social distancing when trying to share the gospel in hopes of not getting too messy. And for so long, many of us have thought of our mission field as maybe out there, but we need to realize that our mission field is really right here. We are sent people. We are sent as in Acts 1.8 to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, as Keith talked about recently. And our sending starts at home, and it radiates out from there. And some of us are not really sure who to share the gospel with. If that's you, and I feel you, I know a lot of Christians, right? But do this for me, if you would. As you go through the week, take note of people that you interact with. Maybe it's your coworkers, maybe it's your kid's baseball team, maybe it's other places that you go regularly, maybe it's the barista that you see every other morning, and the people's names that you know and know one fact about those people. Write those names down. Those people are your mission field. It's the people that you live life around in the everyday day to day. And some of us are like, man, I don't know any non-Christians, and that does need to get fixed. At one point during that same year of college, I uh, realized I didn't have any friends who were Christians, so I set the goal of, of finding my one. You know what I'm talking about? Finding the one person that I can invest in relationship with so that I can share the gospel with them. And so what I did was this. It was, I had an 8 a.m. class, which is just straight from Satan, right? Uh, and I, I would go, and, and I walked in one day, and I scanned the room. I was like, and I was looking for a guy that was sitting alone that I could go sit Next to, in my criteria, it included somebody who appeared and through just their appearances appeared too cool to be a Christian, right? Tattoos, piercings, sideways hat, found him, and I went and I sat down next to him, okay? And I introduced myself, and his name was Scott Cross. And I'm like, when this dude gets saved, it's going to preach, right? His last name is Cross. Can you even believe it? And I spent the next few weeks sitting next to this guy and built up a relationship on the, and, and, and on week three, he asked me a question and I turned the conversation towards Jesus and I'm like, this is Jesus, do you know him? And he's like, dude, no way, I'm a Christian too. I was like, come on, man, you gotta be kidding me. Like he was a legit rock star Christian. And to make matters worse, like coincidentally, he was doing the exact same thing. 
He looked at me and was like, I'm going to share the gospel with that guy. And like, I don't know how we didn't figure it out because we were both like incredibly moral, not cussing around each other. Like, like we knew, we knew like there's something different about you, right? We just didn't put it together and figure it out, right? And so he was trying to find a non-believer to build that relationship with for the sake of investing the gospel in. And so was I. So we realized we're like, two peds in a pod. Well, I guess we're together now and now we're actually friends. So did we give up? No, right? No. We're like, man, God has called us here in this time and place that we should live so that we might be able to reach out to the people in this class and share the gospel with them. So we went together. And we sat next to a group of people from some of our other classes that we knew weren't Christians, and we began to live life next to them and with them sharing the gospel together at every opportunity that we had. And here's one thing you need to know. You are better together than apart. There's a reason why Jesus sent his disciples out two by two. There is. And so... My encouragement to you guys is to do this, to live on mission in community. Live on mission in community. So with your friends and your hope groups, with the people that you know, with the people that you trust, with the people who are believers, the people that you respect and follow. Man, live on mission in community. Invite one of your Christian friends and go join a baseball team for your kids together and be like, man, my mission field is the rest of these 10, 12, 15 parents. We're going to bring orange slices every single week because nobody wants to do that, right? And every time we're going to put a verse individually wrapped around each one. I'm kidding, right? But at the same time, you're doing this as a mission field. You're seeing where you naturally go in the day-to-day every day. And you're attacking the lostness of this world with the community of the gospel. So I want to encourage you guys as you move forward. Man, I want you to remember that you are not alone. I want you to remember that we are called to live life on mission. We're called to share the gospel. We're called to speak the gospel. And we're called to do that in community, in the mission field that God has already designed for us, in the Jerusalem of our day-to-day every day. Let's pray. God, I thank you for just the fact that you are sovereign and you're king. And thank you that you've knit our lives together in a way where you've designed every relationship that we have. And Lord, I pray that this week we would remember that, that we would see that, we would see the lostness of this world, and that we would run after it, heralding your message of victory. That your life with light would beat back the darkness. That your message of victory would bring hope, that would set the captives free that it would break the chains of sin, that we would be faithful just to share. God, I pray for every one of us in this room that you would give us a boldness to do just that. Jesus, we cannot do this on our own. We pray that you would be with us as we walk through our everyday day-to-day. God, we know you can do it. We pray that you would. It's your name that we pray. Amen.